2: one day all of the facts in about 30 years time will be published when genocide has been carried out in this country almost with impunity and when it is near to completion people talk about intervention
0: you don't get freedom people freedom has never uh, safeguarded people Anyone who is depriving you of freedom isn't deserving of, an, of a peaceful approach. Hello, and welcome to Angry Planet. I am your host, Matthew Galt. Afghanistan, the site of America's longest war, is changing. The Taliban is getting ground in the north while peace talks stall. The U.S. continues its withdrawal, and the Afghan military is left to pick up the pieces. Here to help us understand what's going on is Ali M. Latifi. Latifi is an Afghan journalist living in Kabul. His work has appeared in Al Jazeera, Business Insider, and NBC. Ali, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. So the big story that's going around here in the West kind of in the past 24 hours is this report from the AP uh, about the U.S. troops leaving Bagram airfield in the middle of the night without alerting uh, the Afghan commander who's going to be taking it over. Um, and there's been, you know, kind of a lot of sharing of the story and talking about talking about it, but I, I think it undercuts the reality of the situation where America has been pretty – it's my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that America has been pretty hands-off for a bit now. The The media has kind of turned its attention to Afghanistan as this deadline of September 11th that Biden set uh, kind of creeps up. Um, do you think that, from your perspective, does it feel like people are paying attention now as the end for America's involvement is coming? People where? Uh, I'm sorry fair point uh does it feel like people <laughs> does it feel like people in the west are more interested in afghanistan right now than they than they have been for 20 years um i mean i'm
2: not there so i don't know i do think that the media definitely all of a sudden wants to cover it again and you know i've been getting all kinds of requests um and i've seen video and audio and text reports from journalists flying in and, you know, uh, creating all of these reports and uh, some of them, you know, asking for advice and asking for help. Um, So, yes, it does seem that the media industry is interested again, whether or not that actually means that the people of the United States or Germany or the UK or any of these other countries that have troops here, whether or not they're interested, I couldn't tell you.
0: Uh, that's in my experience um, covering this stuff for a while now is that, uh, that the American public at least um, has always been a little disinterested, um, <laughs> which I've always found kind of horrifying, uh, but that's like a whole separate conversation. Um Okay, so what is, I guess, can you give us the broad strokes of what is happening right now as we talk here on uh, July 6th?
2: So what is happening is that yesterday, the Taliban put out a statement saying that within a month, they hope to finally actually detail their plan for peace and that they hope that the government will do the same. Because, I mean, the Taliban have actually been in Doha since 2011, but it's only been a couple of years that they have officially been engaging uh, first with the U.S. now over the last year or so with uh, representatives of the Afghan government in Doha. Um, But those talks, other than creating an agreement between Washington and the Taliban, have yielded no results in terms of direct dialogue between Uh, the Afghan Taliban and the Afghan people. um, And so, or or the Afghan government who's meant to represent the people. Um, And so the hope is that they will finally actually lay out some kind of a plan or some kind of a list of what specifically they want uh, in terms of making a deal, what they expect their role to be whether or not they expect society and 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 the laws and things like that. These are all things that the government and the people have been asking for this entire time. You know, they've all been saying, tell us what you want, you know, tell us specifically what you want so that we know um, what can be discussed, right? Like where possible concessions have to be made on either side, what specific issues need to be discussed in more detail because entire time the Taliban keeps saying we want an Islamic system in Afghanistan but from the constitution to the judicial law to family law to education everything in Afghanistan is based on Islam um, and so the question all along has been tell us specifically what you think like is there a specific, amendment in the constitution is there a specific law is there a specific thing that we're teaching in schools that you are saying is un-islamic um so that we can address that directly and at the same time what's been going on is that in the last month or so this sort of cat and mouse game between the government and the taliban of taking districts and losing districts has ramped up. So for years, this has been happening where districts will fall to the Taliban and then maybe weeks, months, sometimes even years later, the government will recapture it. But now we're at a point where it's all happening in a matter of days. You know, one day you'll hear that this district has fallen to the Taliban and then a couple, two, three, four, five days later, you'll get the report that the government took it back. But what happens, what's happening now is that it's just intensified. Every day you, you see two, three, four, five, six, seven districts are falling and changing hands to one side or the other. It's it's an overdrive at this point. And at the same time, again, in the last few weeks, the government has made an official policy of basically expanding these public uprising forces which have existed in different capacities um, around the country for years now some very organic some much more deliberate Um, but what's happening now is that the government is working with people in different parts of the country finding ways to provide them arms so that they can join the Avon National Security Forces in trying to defend their own land against the Taliban. Um, and so there are a lot of people that are pro- proponents of this saying, you know, it's very important. It, it boosts the morale of the security forces and it shows that the people, you know, they, 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 they are willing to 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 sacrifice And to put up a fight to save their own land, their own territory, and to fight for their people, and that it's a way of localizing security. Um, And then there are some people that are afraid, um, at least in part, saying that when you start to arm thousands of people across the country, um, how can you rein that in when you need to? Can you be certain that that won't turn into some sort of a civil war? That, that won't turn into infighting once this war comes to an end in, in whatever way it will. Um, and there are also people questioning, like, if these weapons were available all along, why weren't they be, being given to uh, the security forces? But at this point, the government sees this as a positive policy because it's showing the Taliban that, the people are willing to stand up against you, and it's also showing their security forces, which have had you know a lot of difficulties over the last twenty years, um, that the people are behind you. Um,
0: so it that that's really like where things stand at the moment. There was there's a lot of stuff I want to kind of dive into there. But one of the, one of the things is that this idea that um, the the Taliban has not made clear what it wants. Uh, Mm -hmm. other than an Islamic society and state Um, from what do, is there any sense of from people like that they kind of know what that would look like, or they know what life under the Taliban would be? No. The, the, The only thing they know
2: is what existed in 19 from 1996 until 2001. And I mean, no one I've spoken to over the years wants that. Um. And so that that's the fear and that's the question is when you say that are you saying that we would be back to 1996 where women except for doctors can't work where a woman can't go out of the house without a male companion where men have to have beards of a certain length and have to wear certain kinds of clothes and you know if you're caught outside during prayer time you know you could be beaten or where you know, film and music and radio and and, and the internet—all of these things are banned. Um, where you know all so many aspects of, of your daily life are being watched and restricted. Um, you know, so so people are wondering. They're they're saying, "Are you trying to go back to that?" Because we won't accept that this time. You know, at that time it was very different. The country was just coming out of a civil war. People were fed up with 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 warlordism and and literally rockets raining all over Kabul and, you know, reports of abuse from different armed groups and things like that. Um, So there was enough people that were willing, at least in theory, to put up with 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 the they a lot of people didn't think that the, the way the Taliban sort of sold it is like, you know, things are really bad right now we just need to be restrictive for a while and then we'll open things back up. But in the five years that they ruled, nothing opened up and, and people grew more and more frustrated and angry and upset at just how, you know, restricted and, and the stranglehold that the Taliban had um, on their lives. And, and then when you add the violence and and the killings and everything else that came along with it, um, that's, that, that's the thing that, that, that that's also part of why, the government certainly but also for 100% the people want something like a list right to 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 make it clear whether or not they are thinking of going back to 1996 or if they have changed their thinking in any way whatsoever
0: it sounds as if then they are just stalling for time while they take territory do you think that's accurate yeah
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at it, the problem has been that over the last year, year and a half, both sides have been stalling for time because, you know, the government was waiting, both sides were waiting to see who would win the U.S. election. And what that would mean for both of their individual sides. Um, And then obviously with the Taliban's current tactic, it's really about... um, implanting fear in people's minds, you know, because if you're constantly hearing reports of districts falling, including districts that are very close to Kabul, you know, it, it, it creates this image that they could come, you know, storming into, in, into the capital city at any moment, or if not Kabul, then in, in Herat or in Kandar or in Jalalabad or in Mazar and one of the other big cities. Um, and so, you know, it's working on that level. And it's also working on the level, like I said, like everything is an overdrive, right? Like, multiple districts are in battle at the same time, they're in play, and being uh, handed off between the two sides within the matter of days. And so, you know, what that does is not only instills fear in the population, but it also, I'm assuming it is a ploy to try and stretch the national security forces thin, right? Because if you start fires everywhere and you only have a finite amount of military and police to address it, um, you know, that, 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 that obviously creates a, a major impediment and, and it can be used as a way to highlight, you know, what they want to
0: make seem like an ineffective security force. Do you make a distinction between a civil war and the fighting with the Taliban? Um,
2: I mean, the civil war of the past was, was different because the civil war of the 1990s, it was several different groups fighting each other literally in the city of Kabul and dividing the city. Uh, into subsections and 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 different kinds of ghettos and having to cross different checkpoints that belong to different groups. And, you know, if you lived on one side of the city, rockets from one group or another would, would, would come at you. And if you lived on another side, you know, rockets from another group would come at you. When people say that it's currently civil war, they mean that because, yes, a certain, per, a, I would say a large proportion of the Taliban are still from Afghanistan or identify as Afghan, um, And so in that way, yes, it does seem like a war between two Afghan sides. But unfortunately, you also have a lot of foreign manipulation, you know, because the Taliban get a great deal of support, obviously from Pakistan, but also from Iran, and then to a lesser extent, China and Russia. Um, and then you also have foreign fighters that do come in from different countries that, you know, join the Taliban or that claim to belong to the different armed groups and things like that. Um, but at the heart, you know, it is, it is, you know, basically an Afghan killing another Afghan for the most part. And that's what infuriates people so much because they keep saying like the Taliban claims to be fighting an occupation, but if they're fighting an occupation, why did they make a deal with, with the country that they see as the ultimate occupier and agree not to attack their forces, but continue to attack uh, Avron security forces and civilians? Because they still stage attacks that kill civilians all the time. Um, and even at a time before the agreement with the U.S. when they were attacking foreign forces, so often they would, they, they would pick spots that were very much on open road, uh, like in on main streets and on open roads and near residential areas and near commercial areas, where you know the odds of the foreign forces or even the government forces uh, being killed or injured were much less compared to someone who is going to work or going to school or coming back from the store. Um, You know, people just
0: innocent bystanders. Who, who who were caught up in, in these brutal, vicious attacks. You lighted on something I think is pretty important here, um, that the end of American involvement is not the end of foreign interference in Afghanistan, right? Um, right. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, the Taliban's relationship with Pakistan?
2: So, I mean, it, it's very clear that the Taliban, you know, have safe havens, they have assistance, they have financial benefits – from Pakistan, you know, different Pakistani officials, even in recent days, have come out and made statements, uh, either saying that outright or alluding to it. And if you look at, you know, the history of things that have happened, for instance, in, in 2000, uh, well, let's say a few years ago, when when the second uh, leader of the Taliban, Mullah Mansur, when he was still alive, there was footage of him traveling to Iran through the Karachi airport, through the airport in Karachi, Pakistan, um, and there was footage of him in other uh, other instances traveling. And if you look at you know where Osama bin Laden was found, because at the end of the day, the whole point of the U.S. war here allegedly was to hunt down bin Laden and bring an end to Al Qaeda. But when bin Laden was killed, where was he? He was outside a huge military garrison, basically outside what they say is like the West Point of. Pakistan, you know, um, in Abbottabad. He wasn't here. He hadn't been here in years. And, you know, just the fact that the leadership of the Taliban is called the Khwata Shura, and at this point, Quetta is considered to be a part of Pakistan, um, you know, there's just so much proof, there's so much evidence that the government keeps giving. And at the same time, you know, we've had more and more proof in the West and the South of the country, that Iran is just as involved, that they are also providing safe haven and medical attention and training and weapons and that, you know, uh, different people, as I said, in in the Western and Southern provinces will say we've seen uh, Iranian fighters fighting alongside um, the Taliban or at least standing beside them, if not necessarily like shooting the actual guns. Um, And so, and this, this is what, More than a civil war, if you you look at the the way the government refers to it, they keep saying it's an imposed war, because what they're saying is that the actual war lies beyond Afghanistan. You know, the people making these, uh, aiding and abetting these terrorists are in these two other countries. And yet, you know, no real pressure is being
0: put on either one. What about um, China and India?
2: china you know there have been reports that uh, they have that they that they have armed or supported the taliban but those are not as substantiated or if they are it, it's not as how do i put it it's it's not seen as um as impactful as the other two countries in terms of india you know, because India has been such a longtime ally of Afghanistan, and you know, they 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 keep talking about the friendship between the two nations, this this is part of what you know some people fear is that because Pakistan and India have this rivalry ever since the partition, um, that the closer Afghanistan gets to India and the more we keep referring to them as a friend um the more that pakistan
0: will retaliate with the uh, taliban forces so does the taliban have any kind of popular support at all i know that uh, i know that afghanistan is a, is a large complicated place it's it's very complicated right like the thing is is like um
2: how do i put it one is like when when part of it is that you know If people say they support them, you can never know 100 percent if it's truly how they feel or they feel under pressure, especially obviously if they live in Taliban controlled areas, um, to say such a thing. And then the other thing is, is that it's seen as the alternative to a corrupt government, because the main problem with the government of Afghanistan over the last 20 years has been this endemic, massive, massive amounts of uh, corruption and how that corruption has affected the people, Um, you know, in the sense that they aren't giving... I mean, we live in Kabul in 2021 and we still don't have 24 hour electricity most of the days. You know, like in winter, you know, you know that for hours and hours at a time, if not days at a time, you won't have electricity. And now this year, even during the summer, this is happening. Or like when when it rains, you know, the streets of Kabul literally flood over. It, it, it's basically like last year when it started to rain, they started making memes of uh, the current Kabul mayor, you know, and reenacting scenes from the Titanic. Um, all of this is, is, proof of corruption, right? To, to, to the average person, it's uh, um, a symptom of the corruption, or it's, or it's an indication of the corruption. Um, And then, you know, the farther out you get from the big, bigger cities, the less access you have to pay roads, to proper schools, to proper hospitals, to um, electricity, to clean water, to um, any number of basic, basic services. Um And a lot of the blame for the lack of those things, because at the end of the day, the fact that billions and billions and billions of dollars came here, and yet, as I said, like the streets, forget, you know, the districts, the streets of Kabul still flood over when it rains, to the average person is very clear evidence that corruption
0: has been all around them all along. So, is there any kind of then, uh, you know, I'll ask the question the other way. Is there any kind of popular support for the central government? Or is it kind of this is the government we have?
2: Exactly. I think for a lot of people, especially at this point, it's become this is the government that we have. And I think a lot of times when you meet with like these public uprising forces and things like that, when they say they want to protect the republic, what they mean is the idea of a republic, the idea of a democracy, not necessarily this exact government and this exact leadership structure, but just that a democracy is better than Talibanism. Um, But a lot of people feel as if they're sort of stuck between a corrupt government and a brutal Taliban.
0: And I want to talk about the specifics of that brutality here just a little bit to kind of make this clear, because I think this is something that's underreported here, or at least maybe people in America, again, as we were talking about earlier, kind of don't pay attention to. um, Who are the Hazaras and what has been going on with them?
2: So the Hazaras are an ethnic minority. Um, The the vast majority of them are of the Shia sect. And over the last... um, Five years, the forces claiming to be part of the so-called Islamic State have targeted, targeted them repeatedly, attacked them repeatedly. Um, you know, there, there's one neighborhood in the west of Kabul that is almost all uh, Azara, and uh, if when you travel there, you see it's basically like just two lanes, one lane in either direction, and then. All of these side streets that go on for kilometers. Half of them aren't paved, some of them are. And it's this when, when, when this specific neighborhood, Dashtabachi, comes under attack because it's so densely populated. They say there's up to a million people there because it's so densely populated and because it's so, like, the layout is so constricted, the damage is so much worse. And, you know, everything from a girls' school to, um, like uh, a, a test prep center for, for for the for the high school exit for the college entrance exam for to a wrestling gym to um, mosques to uh, a, 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 a a place where you get your vote your your um, national ID all of these kinds of places have come under attack in that neighborhood uh, over the last five
0: years. Mostly, did you say mostly by Islamic State factions? Uh-huh. That's a that's another thing I think I want to make clear to the audience is that this is not just what are the other I guess what are the other factional pieces that are are at work in Afghanistan.
2: So I mean, the government claims that there's something like 20 armed groups, but like a lot of those are like very small, you know, maybe a few dozen or a couple hundred. Um, but the two main, you know, sort of armed opposition groups, if you will, are the Taliban and then this branch that calls itself the Islamic State, that there's been no proof that they have connections to the actual quote-unquote Islamic State in Syria and Iraq, but they are separate from the Taliban and they do fight the Taliban and the two groups Actually, despite like if, if, if you go in the areas where, where the so-called Islamic State used to rule, um, you know, people will say that it's very clear that the two groups hate each other, that they try and kick one another out of each other's territories and that, you know, um, when, when, when these groups first started to appear around 2014-15, Um, and all the way up until like 2017, 18, I was going, they were mainly in the Eastern provinces. So I was going to the East a lot and talking to the people there. And they were saying like, these people that claim to be these so-called Daesh forces, you know, they were like, they, they were saying things like, they don't look like us. They don't speak like us. They deal in us dollars. They're incredibly brutal, um, you know, they were saying like a lot of times, you know, the Taliban are people, you, they're your neighbors, they may be your son, they may be your nephew, but, but these people that were claiming to be the Islamic State, they were saying, seemed like complete strangers to us. Um, and so as soon as they sort of outed themselves as claiming to be Daesh, a lot of people in these districts that they were taking over were trying to escape, were trying to come to Jalalabad the capital of Ningarhar province, or if they could come to Kabul, come to Kabul. Um, so it is it is a distinct group, but the problem is, is that there's very little known about its structure, its leadership. And unlike, like the Taliban at the very least claims that they're fighting a foreign occupation, but these so-called Islamic State fighters, they don't necessarily have uh, some kind of a, quote unquote, clear goal in mind, they just want to wreak havoc. Um, And one of their constant targets is the Shia population of Afghanistan, which is common with, uh, you know, the other so-called Islamic Islamic state in in Iraq and Syria.
0: All right, Angry Planet listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We're on with Ali M. Latifi. We'll be right back after this. All right, Angry Planet listeners, welcome back. Let's get back into it. So this this thing that you tweeted um, kind of feeds into this. I know that's the, <laughs> the one thing no journalist ever wants to hear, uh, this thing you tweeted. Um, but I, but this, this struck me, and I wanted to talk about it because I think it makes a lot of the stakes here pretty clear. Um, over the last week, I've heard men in Kabul, Parwan, and Lagar keep saying, we're doing this for women's rights, and yet there isn't a single woman in sight when they make these pronouncements. Um, what, what, can you explain that a little bit? What I mean is that,
2: I mean, it's just that, right. It's that obviously in certain places, you know, like for instance, in Paduan, in in the Ghorban Valley where I was, they, like the people had already fled for the most part. Um, but in, in Kabul, you know, you hear these politicians say it, um, and yet, you know, you see, you notice there's so many high level meetings, so many, um, yeah, the, the, these meetings and these gatherings and you never see a woman present, you know, even though they are famous women politicians um, and very influential women politicians, but, you know, there. so often you will see like, you know, President and former President Karzai, and so on and so forth all sat down to discuss peace and yet there's not a single woman in the picture. Um, And, you know, even if you look at the current negotiating team, there's only three women amongst the entire team. Uh, and there have been instances, for instance, like in Moscow, where, you know, the, the government representatives and the Taliban representatives were sent, and there was only one woman present. Um, So it, it's sort of this idea that people like to talk about women's rights, but putting in the actual work, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, like misogyny is a huge problem in the United States to this day. Um, You know, it's something that it's not rare to Afghanistan. But the interesting thing is, is that there's a lot of lip service play to it, right? Like when George Bush first invaded Afghanistan, half of his reasoning was, oh, I want to liberate the Afghan women. Well, why didn't you care about why didn't you or uh, Bill Clinton care about them from 1996 to 2001? You know, like, you didn't really say much about it then, you didn't do anything about it then, um, and even now, you know, how much better, how how much better has, has the lives of the average, I mean, this is something you'd have to ask a woman, but still, you know, it, it's an issue, I think it's very much a talking point for people, but you don't, you know, Obviously, like representation, visibility is a big part of that. If you're saying that, you know, like, for instance, when we were in Logar, uh, this this one old man, he's like, I'm fighting for girls' schools in my area. I want my girls to go to school. And, like, his girls were, like, um, playing in the fields, but, like, you know, no one went to talk to them. He didn't say anything. You know, he didn't tell them to come and talk or say anything or do anything. And, you know, there there was no real indication of any other woman having a say um, or a role in that, um, and and this has been very indicative of of, of what's been happening
0: um, over the last twenty years. Does that make sense? No, no, it makes it makes total sense. Um, and but I also want to make clear that at the same time, uh, there are women. Journalists, activists, teachers—no,
2: this is what I'm saying. That this, this is why it's infuriating for people, right? Because they exist, you know. They, 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 you know. In the last 20 years, they've regained all of those rights, and probably even gained new rights that they didn't even have under the kingdom. Um, but the fact that you know, like, there's there's so many times, like you're talking about Twitter. There's so many times where. You know, some government official will will post a picture of a meeting or a gathering, and then people will be like, "Well, there's no women there." You know, like that still happens, um, even though, as I said, and as you said, there are so many accomplished, unbelievable, incredible, intelligent, expressive, brave women in the media and in politics and in civil society and in arts and all of these other. Um, Avenues, uh, but you know, does the representation match up
0: with that? Well, and also they are specific targets of violence and assassination, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember last year. Yeah, it was in January. um, I was talking to a friend of mine, a a female journalist, very famous female journalist, Anissa Shahid, and she was saying how they had gotten report. Uh, reports uh, from the intelligence that the quote-unquote so-called Islamic State had brought in, I forget, however many women armed with silencers whose entire goal was to lure famous women to see, you know, like to say like, I'm being abused and, you know, like to, to sort of like say I need help and then wanting to kill or at least give give information to other assassins of how to kill these women. Um You know, I was working on a story uh, a couple months ago about uh, how, like, small and medium business is still continuing in Kabul, even though, you know, there's so much uncertainty at the moment. And one of them was, was, was a young woman, also a friend of mine who owns a beauty salon. And she was saying that around that time there were these women that came in in black abayas and uh, would ask all these questions be like, so who owns this place? What is she like? What does she look like? When does she come in? What are your clients like? How many of them are from the government? And um, she, she didn't, you know, expose it to the media because she didn't want to put her staff and her clients at further risk, but she contacted the intelligence and they advised her to, and this was unprecedented to hire security for the beauty salon. So to have like a woman search, I mean, there, there are female searches everywhere, but it never existed in a beauty salon before. Um, and we've seen, you know, female media workers, female judges. I mean, I interviewed the family of one, uh, of the female Supreme court judges, judges who was killed in January. Um, and it, I mean, it was just devastating. Um, And again, you know, these attacks go unclaimed. You know, the Taliban say they don't do it. And there's the government says that they believe that Taliban are behind it. But the Taliban says no. So it becomes, you know, he said, he said kind of a thing. And there's never really if there is an investigation, it's never really made public. So you don't know. You know what information the government really has about who ends up being responsible for these things it gets a lot of
0: media attention, but in terms of follow up, it's 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 very rare. What do you think? I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. There's not. There's just not a good way to do it. Um, <laughs> what do you think the West's responsibility is here? What what should and can it do at this moment?
2: I mean, in a lot of ways, in terms of, I mean god in a lot of ways like in terms of like social things in a way i feel like it's too late because it was never really a genuine effort and it's shown over time um but i think politically the easiest thing they can do is okay maybe putting pressure on iran is difficult you know because of its relations with the rest of the world but putting pressure on pakistan should not be difficult there's no reason i mean we know why they don't but theoretically if, if you're fed up with this if you're joe biden and you're fed up with this war and you want out and you don't even want to answer questions about it at a press conference you know for a fact like the whole world at this point knows that pakistan plays a major 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 role in this and yet you've put no real pressure on them, as far as we know publicly um there's no real threat against them for what they're doing, so I think politically, what they can do is, you know, in terms of the region, put pressure on Pakistan if they can find a way to do it with Iran, put pressure on Iran too, uh, put pressure on the government and if and the Taliban to to really take peace talks seriously. But again, a big part of that is how are you treating Pakistan in relation to all of this, because that to the average person in this country is is what makes no sense is that we've been saying this for years, you know, there's been proof, like I said, where was Osama bin Laden found, you know? Um, Why, why were there reports of uh, different Taliban leaders being in Pakistan or being arrested in Pakistan, uh, of their families being in Pakistan? um, And yet nothing ever happens to them. Like, like to the average Avon, it just, it's like, you know, hitting a brick wall over and over again. It just doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah. I think there's this tendency um, in America on both sides of our, our political divide to kind of, to view those regions we want, we want simple stories, right? And we can't process, especially on the political left, we can't process the idea that Iran is a, would have political influence in a country like Afghanistan or that Pakistan should be should be pressured um i think it's been going on so long that people largely just don't god this feels awful <laughs> to to talk to you about while you're while you're in while you're there and i know that it's your home and your country um but it feels like especially on the political left that we they just want to stop talking about it Um, And that it's just about withdrawal and saying that it was a mistake. uh, Well, not understand. And I'm not saying that we should stay, but there needs to be a. Well,
2: it's not even like the thing is, is like. It's not even. It's said with disdain, right? Like, oh, it was just a mistake without actually acknowledging. What the mistakes were. You know, what why why it was so flawed from the outset. Um that I think is what's so uh, sort of enraging and infuriating to people is that this country is now just being dismissed. Um and it's and it's being treated with this disdain and this disgust without ever you know sort of being um Self-aware about what did you do wrong? All that, like, what were all of the mistakes that you made? You know, um, like, there's a reason that the special investigated. What is it? The cigar? The, yeah, yeah. The, the cigar, special.
0: The, um, right. Oh, I used to write about them all. Investigator
2: the time. General for Afghanistan. Reconstruction. Yes. There's a reason that it exists, right? It constantly documents all of you know, the the bad money that the US spent here. Just like, I mean, I'm talking like spending money on uniform, uh, camouflage uniforms that have nothing to do with the terrain here, to spending millions of dollars on a gas station in Mazar, to just any number of different things that are just outlandish.
0: Genetically engineered goats from Italy that could not survive in Afghanistan.
2: Exactly right like as if there aren't goats here
0: you know Um,
2: all of these things and you know I mean obviously no one wants to admit when they lose a war but just the fact that it like for instance I'll tell you this like so in the last you know since April I've been asked to be on these podcasts and these radios and these you know tv stations and everything and they keep Asking questions, something along the lines of "Well, like, what does it mean for security going forward? And my answer is always, well, yeah, security at this point sucks, but it wasn't any better in March. You know, um, all of these things were happening, you know, before Biden's announcement. You know, things were not good in this country before Biden's. It's not as if, you know, someone switched a light and things just went to hell. Um, they've gotten worse for sure, but they were also really bad. I mean, like, for instance, we, we were talking about the attacks on Nazaraz. So there was that attack during the month of Ramazan on a girl's school where anywhere, like the, the, the estimate goes from anywhere from 80 to 100 young girls were killed in this attack on a school during the holy month of Ramazan. And I remember, again, I was getting calls from all of these different media outlets and, and and podcasts and things like that. And they were like, well, you know, how, like, something about, like, how does the U.S. withdrawal affect this? And I'm like, this was happening before the U.S. withdrawal. You know, there were no U.S. soldiers guarding girls' schools in Kabul. Um, you know, this is not something that just started in May. Um, and I think we have to be very honest about these things. Because how we got here is just as important as we won't know where we're going until we get there. Unfortunately, you know, like there's no way to tell what's going to happen a day from now, much two days from now, much less two months from now. But we do know what happened over the last 20 years. And I think we have to start being honest about that and how those 20 years led us to this moment right now.
0: And it does feel like in America, people would rather just forget, you know, the, the, uh, something I've been, that's been striking about, and you know, I've done it too in my intro, but the, the coverage is very American centric, right? America cares right now because America is leaving.
2: Well, exactly. And, and, and so many, you know, again, so many times when I've written for different media outlets they've tr- i mean like for instance when there was an attack where foreigners would were killed the lead would be even even if even if the if the number of uh, afghans killed was larger the lead would be the foreigners the headline would be the foreigners you know um or uh they would they would they would say like oh i, I okay one outlet said to me like Oh, well, you know, you want to write about like Afghan soldiers and you know all the troubles they're facing, well, you can't really do that without talking about US soldiers or or, or British soldiers somehow too to make it interesting to a US or a UK audience. Um and you know, I've heard things like that my entire career. Um so and that that's really what's missing is sort of like this 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 fact that, you know, this is a country full of human beings, you know, who, okay, maybe they're not white, maybe they're not Western, but they are people, Um, they are suffering. Um, And, you know, not everything, or for instance, I've had, you know, people try and insert their opinions into my reporting, you know, like, even when you try and be balanced and, and, and sort of ethical, you will see um, editors in Boston or New York or London or wherever, uh, trying to add in their opinion as, as as fact because
0: they can. What can you give me an example of that happening without getting yourself in <laughs> trouble? Um,
2: <laughs> there's lots of examples. I mean, like, um, that I mean, the one that I will never ever forget is. I was freelancing for this u s. outlet. It's not even a big outlet for this u s. outlet during the two thousand and fourteen presidential election, which was one of those elections that was marred with accusations of corruption and fraud. And John Kerry came if you if you remember, uh, he came to negotiate some kind of a settlement between the two candidates. And I remember, I was in Bamyan province at the time, which is in the center of the country, which is where the Buddhas were destroyed by the Taliban. That's what it's famous for. And it's also, within Afghanistan, it's famous for having really shoddy electricity. Um, so I'd submitted this report. They asked me to write about John Kerry's visit, So I wrote about it just very plainly as a news story. And um, you have to remember, I'm in a province where the electricity no matter who you are, where you are, goes out at like 11 o'clock midnight, you know? Um, And so because they're in the US, the time difference, that's when they send me their edits. And I remember they added, I think it was three points to to this. One was they added the statement. um, And this is a thing that was just, I could not believe that they they added this. They were like, their literal words were, Was there fraud in this election as there has been every previous election? Undoubtedly. That was a statement I didn't write because at that point, I didn't have proof of that. And I remember that was one of the statements that I wanted taken out because I said, first of all, I didn't write that. Secondly, I can't say that because I don't have proof of that. Um... And you know the editor was like, "Well, I've been to Afghanistan and I've met one of the candidates, and it happens all the time." And we got into this argument, and I said, "You have to take this line out and two other lines out." And then he wouldn't take it out, so I said, "Then take my name off of it." And basically, he said, "I took your name off of it, and I've warned every editor never to work with you again." Even though I thought I was trying to be ethical about it, because I'm like, this is a news story. I can't be making claims like that without proof.
0: Good Lord, what a that's a nightmare. All right, you've been you've, you've gone through my questions. <laughs> that's the kind of we, we like to end on um on sad notes here at Angry Planet. Uh, so I think we got there. Ali M Latifi, thank you so much for coming onto the show and uh, talking to us about Afghanistan.:
2: Thank you for having me.
0: That's all for this week. Angry Planet listeners, Angry Planet is me, Matthew Galt, Kevin O'Dell, and Jason Fields. It's created by myself and Jason Fields. If you like the show and you want to hear commercial-free versions of it and get two bonus episodes every month, go to angryplanet.substack.com or angryplanetpod.com. Nine bucks gets you commercial-free episodes and two bonus shows. We will be back next week with another conversation about conflict on an Angry Planet